Subscribe to the Open's official YouTube channel to enjoy the best video content from golf's original championship, including official films dating back to 1970, full final rounds from past Opens, a range of compilations showcasing memorable moments, highlights from the 151st Open, and much more. Subscribe today to ensure you don't miss a thing. You're listening to The Open Podcasts. Thomas Bjorn on 16, second shot. There it was. That was it. That was the moment where you had your chance. And are you ever going to be presented with a chance again? Like Shakespeare's Hamlet, Thomas Bjorn's open career is understood by five distinct acts. Five captivating top ten performances. For a birdie. (laughs) Side entrance, well done, Tom. They stand as inflection points of a remarkable golfing life. But it is bitterly ironic that in one such act, golf's Prince of Denmark should fall victim to a most tragic of sporting collapses. Get up, get up. Stop. No, no, not in this footprint. You can't help as a professional sportsman had I one day of what would then have happened. Get up. This is... uh... This is very sad indeed, trying to play it perhaps too, too fancy and now could have ended up in, in his own footprints. While the marks in the sand of the ultimate heartbreak would be fast raked away, the Great Dane's achievements in the game of golf have left footprints that endure to this day. He's got it. This is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Thomas Bjorn. Bjorn was born in Silkeborg, a large town in the heart of Denmark's Jutland Peninsula. At the time, the Scandinavian nation was far from a golfing hotbed. Just seven months before Bjorn's birth in February of 1971, Hans Hendrik Lund had broken new ground as the first Danish player to feature in an Open Championship. But with the guidance of his golf-loving parents Ole and Hannah, Thomas would find the game at an early age. Really, my parents played, you know, at a, my mum was a good bit better than my dad, but, they, you know, they played, and, and obviously growing up in the 70s in Denmark, you know, it wasn't a massive sport. It wasn't a sport that uh, a lot of people took to, but my parents kind of got into it, and, and they just brought me and my brothers to the golf club, really. And, you know, back then, it was pretty much a place where they could just drop us, and instead of having a set of parents, you probably had a hundred sets of parents, you know, because everybody just kind of looked after you and made sure you didn't do anything you weren't supposed to do and you know you could just hang out at the club it was a safe place to be and you know they would go and play nine or 18 holes and you just as kids would run around the golf club and chip and putt and go and play holes and you know memberships weren't that big then either so there was plenty of room on the golf course there was plenty of room on the range so it just became our place to be uh, as a family and, and as kids comfortable with a club in hand from an early age It was the exploits of the greats of golf across the North Sea in Scotland that soon captured the imagination of a young Bjorn. I think my first kind of feel for the Open Championship was watching the 77 at Turnbury. You know, that went down in in history probably as the best Open, maybe until Phil and and Henry went a bit nuts and true. That was the swing of a confident man, wasn't it? It looked beautiful. 
commentary by Dear Watson. Seve Winnius Andrews is, is another thing. And he's just done it. Oh, ho, ho, ho. You think he enjoyed that one? You know, we in the winters in the golf club watch old films back, and it was always the opening of the Masters that you, you watched back. It was around the time of Ballesteros' electric win at the home of golf that Bjorn came to understand where his own talents could potentially take him. When I was 14 years old, there was somebody in the Danish Federation that thought that I was a talent worth taking on a training trip to Portugal with the junior national team. You know, and they were all 17, 18-year-old guys. You know, they were the guys who were going to compete in, in the European juniors that year. And, and somebody just thought, well, we'll take this kid along for the ride. And, well, in my mind, you know, my brother was four years older than me. He was already through that process and going into the men's team. And so I, I had that kind of feeling of what it was. And I think when somebody went out of their way to show belief and, and show that, we believe in you as a talent. I think that was the moment where I realized golf was important to me. Boosted by that early show of confidence in him, Thomas set his sights on turning professional. To get there, Bjorn knew he had to make his mark as an amateur, especially when representing Denmark on the international stage, the pinnacle of which would come as a 21-year-old. You know, I wanted to play in the big amateur stuff I wanted to try and, and become as good as I could be as an amateur and, and get those experiences and, and culminating that with playing in an Eisenhower trophy and, and, and having those those things was were the big things at that moment in time. But when I got to the end of my amateur career in ninety two playing the Eisenhower trophy in, in Vancouver, I I was at a point where I felt like, you know what, I, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into this. It was really hurting my school. It was really hurting, you know, a lot of other things. And so it was one or the other way. And I just felt like at the at the end of the Eisenhower Trophy, I felt like, you know what, I'm I'm done with amateur golf in the way that if, I, if I'm going to continue playing golf, I need to do something. So over the summer leading into uh, to Vancouver in, in 92, I, I felt like, no, I'm going to turn pro. I'm going to try this and try it on for size and see what it is. That decision to bring the curtain down on his amateur career was undoubtedly a brave one. Bjorn now faced the daunting prospect of trying to tread a path so few from his homeland of Denmark had taken before. Growing up in a country where we, it wasn't a big thing, you know, it wasn't that, you know, we had a couple of players set on tour that uh, kind of went up and down the tour and, and yeah, we never had anybody that won. We'd never, you know, so we were never a big golfing nation and, and it, it wasn't in our DNA. So my parents, well, my dad was not so much against it. My mom was seriously against it. And it really took my brother coming back from college in America uh, to kind of convince my mom that he thought this was a good idea. He had dreams and aspirations and played Eisenhower himself and went to America, got a golf scholarship in, in Texas. But he knew that it wasn't for him. He, he, he was probably not going to be good enough. And, and he saw in me things that he knew he lacked as a golfer. And he thought, well, you know what? I might not do it, but he should certainly give it a go. And, and that was probably the difference in our personalities. He was. He was more true to his school than I was, probably. <laughs> From 1993, Bjorn spent the next two years playing on the Challenge Tour, 
and it wouldn't be until June of 1995 that he experienced his breakthrough victory, fittingly coming on home soil at the Himmerland Open. Three further wins that summer ensured he topped the Challenge Tour Order of Merit and earned him his place on the European Tour for the next year, where he'd be joined by fellow Danes Anders Hansen and Steen Tinning. Later in that 1996 season, Bjorn qualified for the 125th Open at Royal Lytham in St Anne's, his first taste of golf's original major. The week would prove to be an eye-opening experience for the Dane, both on and off the course. I remember going to the qualifier just kind of thinking that's what you do, you know, you, you go on and play. I can't even remember where I qualified, you know, but I, I remember qualifying and thinking, here you are, you know, and I had the Swedish players qualify and the Swedish Federation had big houses and chefs and they go there and stay and I just stood there. And Steen Tinning fortunately qualified for that Open Championship as well. So I was standing there and I was like, Steen, what happens now? And he was like, well, we'll often try and find a, a place to stay. And, and I remember walking down the streets in the Blackpool trying to, with Steen trying to find this place to, to stay. And we're knocking on all these not-so-great hotel doors and, and these women were opening the doors and just looking at it and go, no, don't take lads, don't take lads. And we couldn't find a place to stay. And in, in the end, after 15 tries, we probably we found a place to stay. Tall, athletic figure of Thomas Bjorn, qualified for the European Tour, from the Challenge Tour, won four tournaments on the Challenge Tour in 1995. Very, very impressive player. This was my first big encounter with the American players. It was my first big encounter with the stage that is a major championship. I really fell in love with what the championship is. I thought this is uh, this is just such a great thing to be a part of. And, and it kind of changed my view that, you know what, Playing in this championship is, is something that you really need to focus on doing. Now here's Bjorn, he's pitching it from quite well out on the left of the rough. Hard to control the ball as you can imagine. Unless of course you can get the assistance of the black pin, black and white pin, which uh, took it nicely in there. A chip-in eagle on the 13th on Thursday proved to be the high point of Bjorn's first open experience as he missed the cut on the Friday at Royal Lytham. But the early signs were there that his natural game was suited to the championship. I was blessed with a low ball flight to start with when I was a kid, and that was, uh, that was certainly something that helped me. But I grew up in the summers on an island off the west coast of Denmark, where the oldest golf course is in Denmark called Feyenoord, which is a uh, Lynx golf course. I mean, it's not a particularly challenging golf course, but it was a Lynx golf course. It was it's cut out in the dunes, and it was... You know, it was just a, a wonderful place to, to go for as a kid in the summer. And B, I was pretty much, you know, the worse the conditions were, the probably the better it was for me. I love the challenge of Lynx Golf Course, and it suits my game, the, the non-perfection game uh, that Lynx Golf Course sometimes presents to you where you are, you got to take the good and the bad, and you you got to play, you got to play the contours, and you got to do the different things. So it was a, it was a game that suited me very well. And I, I knew that very earlier in my tour life that I was, I had a good chance of succeeding on Lynx Golf Course. It would be in more conventional surroundings that Bjorn would achieve his European Tour breakthrough later that same year. Despite being well outside the world's top 200 players at the time, 
Two late birdies saw Thomas leapfrog Jean van der Velde to a one-stroke victory at the Loch Lomond World Invitational. In doing so, Bjorn became the first ever Danish player to win on the European Tour. It was also a win that would catapult him into the plans of one of his childhood heroes, 1997 Ryder Cup captain Sevi Ballesteros. Well, he came so quick. You know, I, I, I win the Challenge Tour in 95, get on tour, I win at Loch Lomond in 96, in September 96. And things are happening very quickly. I get on service radar for the Ryder Cup in 97 at Valderrama. It's happening so quick, so you're almost just trying to keep up with what's happening in front of you. You know, you, I win at Loch Lomond, everybody's throwing the Ryder Cup questions at you. So that becomes the main goal to try and make that team, which I fortunately did. I think that's probably one of the things in my career that stands out as the biggest building block as a professional golfer, is our mega team with the greatest of greatest as a captain in Seve, but also playing in a team with Faldo, Langer, Wuzzi, Monty, Oli. You know, it's the long list of all your heroes. You know, I, I, I've sat, watched, you know, Seve win five major championships, Nick win six major championships. I was a massive, massive fan of Nick Faldo. And then all of a sudden, you were in that environment after being on tour for 18 months. Despite his inexperience, Bjorn would play a vital role in a famous European victory in 1997, partnering Ian Woosnam to a four-ball victory, then staging an impressive four-hole comeback to have his singles match with that year's Open champion, Justin Leonard. A winning habit proved to be established, as Bjorn carried Ryder Cup's success into two early victories the very next season. You know, as much as you win tournaments, you also lose a lot of golf tournaments, but you're competing all the time. So competing becomes your DNA. So that's what you, you drive yourself for. And, you know, finishing top 10s and finishing top 5s, it becomes part of your everyday life. It's almost like when you don't finish up there, that's more the things that you take note of. And, and they, they are the things that surprises you more than the, the achievements of, of good things. It was just a moment in time in European golf where, there was not as many as it had been for a while. Monty was obviously setting high standards in the late 90s with Westwood. Uh, you know, we were all kind of trying to live living up to that, and there was a big group of us right there behind that, that kind of played that role. And, and it was just that, you know, today there's a lot more fluctuation in, in winners and, and people that are competing in the fields are deeper. It was just a, there was that moment time in, in European golf coming out of the great you know, major champions that we had for a long time into a group of guys that became very, very good, winning a lot of golf tournaments, but for some reason won very few majors. Despite a burgeoning reputation in Europe, Bjorn himself was still looking for a standout performance in the majors. Before the 1998 Open at Royal Birkdale, Bjorn had failed to finish inside the top 20 in his first five major appearances. But come the end of Friday, on the blustery Lancashire coast at the 127th Open, Bjorn sat just two shots behind the surprise leader, Brian Watts. Very tricky little shot Thomas Bjorn has got here for his third shot at the par 4 13th. Heavily downwind, he's got to land it just over the ridge and hope the wind doesn't take it too much. That's superbly played. He couldn't have got it closer than that. I certainly felt like I was putting scores and numbers together that were yeah, this is a championship that, that suits me. That's my, my big chance of 
winning a major championship, I, I felt really uneasy with the US Open. At that time, I mean, I was still struggling to get in the Masters. I felt with the Open Championship, I could deal, really deal with the elements and the, you know, weather's getting thrown at you, you know, the, the unlucky, the lucky, whatever it is, they come at you. And I felt like I could deal with that a lot easier. Fourth tee, Thomas Bjorn. Wins taking it, I think, to the right. No, it's not. That's a cracking shot. Oh, yes. See it curling in all the way. Started with three fours, three powers. The 98 Open Championship at Berg, there was something where I walked away and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm building a love relationship with this, uh, with this championship and it, it's something that I'm going to have a chance one day. Uh, that was more my feeling about it. You know, I, I stood behind that 18 screen doing into with Danish journalists when Justin hold that that shot on, on 18. Get in! Get in, they cry. That brought back a lot of memories for me, you know, of, of watching the Open Champions, watching special moments, just hearing the crowds and that kind of, of feel. It was so different than anything you saw on a day-to-day -day as a golfer. Bjorn would finish the 98 Open six shots back of eventual winner Marco Mira. Good enough for tied ninth, his best major finish to date. The following year, Bjorn would struggle to make his mark at Carnoustie due to a neck injury that would trouble him all season. The arrival of his first child, Philippa, proved to be a welcome distraction off the course, however. And come the turn of the millennium, Bjorn's next big opportunity at the Open was right around the corner at the home of golf. I was sitting in the car with my uh, caddy driving from Lomond up to uh, up to St Andrews and we were chatting away and this is quite remarkable. He says to me, oh, well, when did he last play St Andrews? And been on tour for four years, I'd had a pretty good amateur career and I'd never played St Andrews. And I said that to him and he looked at me like, he just went pale white in his face. And he says, oh, well, it takes you 10 times to learn to play this golf course. So why don't we just go and enjoy? It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be that easy. And yeah, we played the practice rounds and I kind of said to my wife, you, you've been in enough one and just guide me around it. And you tell me what to do. You know, you pick out the spires in the city and you pick out the aiming points and you tell me what to do. Thomas Bjorn, tee shot at the 11th. Oh, and a beautiful shot here. This ball should roll back down towards the hole. Players can just carry the very, very difficult Strath bunker. That's where you'll end up. Caddy Ken Comboy's sightlines proved to be more than adequate for Bjorn as he opened his championship bid with 69s on both Thursday and Friday. Thomas Bjorn, get in there. He hasn't made many birdies, but Eagle the fifth, birdie the ninth. And it's nice to see Thomas going along so well. Had a bit of neck trouble. Unfortunately for Bjorn and the rest of the field, one man was in the midst of creating open history. That one you're talking about? That's the one right there, Tiger. I think he likes that one. Is that the one you're talking about? That's the one I'm talking about, Tiger. Nearly pitched it on the green. <laughs> By Saturday night, the Danes sat tied for second with David Duval, six shots behind the unflappable Tiger Woods. The argument would always be out there, and somebody said not long ago, 
Jack was probably the best competitor that played the game. Tiger was probably the best player that ever played the game. And that's probably a pretty good description of it because Tiger's golf was so different to everyone else. So I learned from that championship, I got the best seat in the house. You have the best seat in the house towards the best player that's ever played the game. Well, who wouldn't enjoy that? When I go on to win in Dubai, playing four rounds with him the year after in 2001, I think that came from that Open Championship, that kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy watching him play and not be scared of watching him play and being, you know, embarrassed that I can't do what he can do and he looks so much better than I do. But it was, uh, it was an unbelievable championship. To watch somebody do what he did and for the rest of us just to, you know, we were bystanders uh, in a wonderful Open Championship, one of the greatest moments probably in Open history, uh, that 2000 Open with, with his just his perfection and his, his way of playing the golf course and doing all the things right and every time I was asked a question he answered it. While Woods produced yet another flawless round on Sunday to lift the Claret Jug, Bjorn closed with a 71 tied for second with Ernie Els. Thomas Bjorn, four for a 71. Beautifully done for Thomas Bjorn. 69, 69, 68, 71 for him. And he ties Ernie Els at 11 under. It was a huge moment for me personally, and I took a lot of pride in, in standing on that green, watching Tiger do his speed, standing there with Ernie. I took a lot of pride in that moment because I felt like that was, it was the making of me as a, a big, proper golfer on a big, proper stage. Yeah, we got beaten properly, but it wasn't by nobody we got beaten properly. We got beaten by somebody that that's what he did, you know, and, and he kept on doing it, and he's done it so many times. So we won the, we won the first ones and we won the last ones that are going to be standing in that situation. The winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer for the year, Tiger Woods. I went back and did an exhibition actually with him uh, for the uh, two days after the Open Championship in Denmark, and I, and I just... Going back, it was such a big thing for Danish golf. It was such a big for, thing for Danish golf fans. And we grew a golf relationship over that time. We played a lot of practice rounds together from 2000 onwards in, in major championship. And, and I've watched a lot of conversations between him and Butch. There was a open championship at Lytham again, where we played practice rounds at 5.30 in the morning, you know, and. Tiger liked to get out and, and get a long way out on the golf course before it was open for crowds, so he'd get some peace and quiet in, in his rounds, uh, in his practice. And having, you know, playing those holes or having conversations when there was nobody around and, you know, you learn a lot. We are all living in a world of where golf all of a sudden got elevated to one of the biggest sports in the world and we had the greatest athlete in the world. And so it was a, it was a fantastic time to be part of it. But he also also cost a lot of us not to either win majors or a lot of people not to win more majors than they did, you know, and that was the downside of, of living in the Tiger Woods era. Hi, I'm Jordan Spieth. You're listening to The Open Podcast. Join the One Club today to enter the 152nd Open Ticket Ballot and enjoy a new range of exciting benefits, including exclusive offers and competitions, 
opportunities to secure tea times at iconic open venues, VIP treatment given to members at both professional championships, increased chances of being successful in future ticket ballots. All this and more, only at The One Club. Sign up for free today at theopen.com. You're listening to The Open Podcasts. While Woods continued to dominate stateside following his maiden Open triumph, Bjorn was achieving great success on the other side of the Atlantic, adding three further wins by the time of the 2002 Ryder Cup at the Belfry. As Bjorn once again tasted team victory, he could scarcely dream of the opportunity for individual glory that would present itself at the next year's Open, the 132nd playing at Royal St. George's. Well, it was any other Open Championship, it was another opportunity. I was playing okay, I was uh, working with Bob Torrance at the time, we'd made some big changes in my goal swing. I felt comfortable with where I was, but it wasn't. I never put an extra pressure on myself going into an Open Championship. You come from a Scottish Open where you know a lot of good players are playing and you sometimes you're competing and you're not, and then you go into an Open Championship and everybody's there, so you know you've got to bring everything you have and it's got to be, you've got to hit that moment in time where the goals for set. And I did. Bjorn would get off to a solid start in his first round, sinking back-to-back birdies on the fourth and fifth holes. Thomas Bjorn for a birdie. <laughs> Side entrance, well done, Tom. It was a tough championship, you know, the, the, it, was a, it was a tough setup. I mean, that was a championship Tiger lost his ball off the first tee in the first round. And there was a moment in time there where golf courses, the golf course setups got tricky by making the rough very severe and very wits very narrow. Thomas Bjorn driving at 17. Pull that well left. Very small landing area at the 17th. Undulating fairway. Difficult to keep it on the fairway. Despite a decent opening round up until that point, Bjorn would fall victim to the tight fairways on the Sandwich coastline. He'd record a quadruple bogey on Royal St. George's 17th due to a two-shot penalty for grounding his club in a greenside bunker. Despite that late stumble, Bjorn sat only five shots off the Thursday overnight lead and he would begin to find his groove early on Friday. Thomas Bjorn for a birdie at the 7th and he's got it. That turned. Huge amount of turn at the end. It's a great putt to hold, Peter. You know, he's played the hole very badly. It's obviously playing a drive and a six iron downwind par five, and he's got an 18-footer for four. But they don't draw any pictures on the scorecard. That's a birdie. You know, going through that week, you know, playing and, and feeling like you is one of those grind open championships. You really have to grind a score. You have to work hard. Nothing is given to you. Birdies are hard to come by. Suited me very well at that moment in time. It was, a, it was really a way I loved playing. I was in control of, of the championship at the most, most of the way. After shooting one under through the front nine on Friday, Bjorn would see three consecutive birdie putts between 14 and 16 come up less than a turn of the ball short. It's a perfect. How unlucky. Quarter more roll, and that would have dropped. Despite those agonising misses, Bjorn would be one of just seven players to shoot second-round scores below par. What's more, he now sat in touching distance of the lead ahead of Saturday. 
Well, 77 players made the cut, nine shots covered the field. First players went out at uh, nine o'clock this morning, and this was the overnight leaderboard. Davis Love the third with the only red figures, one under, a two-shot lead from Thomas Bjorn of Denmark and SK Ho of Korea, who are one over. Seven players are at two over, including Sergio Garcia, who goes out at three o'clock. Five more at three over. Tiger Woods goes out at 2.30. Vijay Singh will go out at 2.40. I felt like after the first couple of days that it was the right moment for me. I was on the leaderboard. There was Vijay, Davis Love, Tiger. You know, he, he, was, the, he was the right kind of environment that really excited me. Uh, and this was a moment in time where I, I felt like I could stand up and, and bring out the best in me because I believe in controlling my goal swing. I believe in controlling what I was doing. I was mentally in a strong place. So, yeah, everything was right there in front of me to do. That control would be demonstrated on the green of the fourth hole of Bjorn's third round with a long eagle opportunity. Not far away. Wonderful putt from Thomas Bjorn. Great putt. The golf's getting like the weather. It was a putt that would bring him within a stroke of the championship lead, now held by an absolutely flying Tiger Woods. Oh, good putt. Right However, Woods' back nine was to be derailed by four bogeys. Bjorn, on the other hand, wouldn't miss a step. Well, a good tidy putt. Nothing, nothing outrageous. Nothing foolish. Thomas has powered everyone, every hell from the eighth. Foster there. He'll be a great man on the bike tomorrow for Thomas. And Billy's the best caddy in the world. As Bjorn stepped off the 18th green on Saturday, he held the overnight lead in a major for the first time in his career. He also stood as the only player under par on what was proving to be a brutally difficult week. Thomas Bjorn of Denmark is the only player in red figures, one under after three gruelling rounds around these links. Davis Love the third of the United States, level par on his own in second place. And then that clutch of five who are two shots off the lead, including Sergio Garcia, Tiger Woods, Kenny Perry, Vijay Singh, and the US rookie Ben Curtis. Sunday presented Bjorn's best chance yet to win a major and claimed the fabled claret jug he had dreamed of holding since he was a child. On the team from Denmark, Thomas Bjorn. Thomas has powered this Holy's time. Davis has had one birdie and one drop shot. Three, four, five to four, four, four. It's a wee grimace there that's left, I think. After a bogey on the first, Bjorn responded brilliantly. That was Bjorn for birdie. Listen to this. That was Thomas for his birdie. And for the lead, leading by one to Ben Curtis. Solid. Oh, so solid. A three-way tie we have. Bjorn, Singh and Curtis all at three under. After three birdies through his first seven holes, six consecutive pars would follow on the difficult sandwich layout. Bjorn's next birdie chance would come on the 14th. I think his only danger here is if he hits it too hard. He does thrash these in on occasion. It has to be just <laughs> a bit sharp for me, but uh, straight in the middle end. I think he appears to be oozing quiet confidence at the moment, and it's a joy to watch. 
Suddenly, Bjorn held a three-shot cushion from Singh and the little-known outsider, Ben Curtis. As he lined up his tee shot on the 15th, the Dane stood on the precipice of his greatest achievement in the game of golf. I don't like try and stay away from watching leaderboards, but it doesn't really affect me either. It's not like I look up at the leaderboard and think, oh, I got a big lead, or oh, I I need to push, you know. You know, I try and play the golf course. Yeah, there's certain times when you have to push. You know, it's nice to know that you've got to take on a few extra shots and all that at the end, but but it really never thought, and especially in majors, that you can, oh, I'll just ease off. Because that golf course wasn't to that. I have a needle job down the 15th. The bunkers left and right very much in range. Pure not the longest of drivers. And that's up in the face. Bjorn for his bogey five. So he drops back just the one shot. But he's still two ahead of uh, Ben Curtis, who's playing the final hole. We didn't stand on 16 and go, oh, and hit it at the flag. We stood on 16 and tried to hit it six, five, six yards left of the pin, you know, and I pushed it. Six hand for Bjorn. He hasn't played the three so well before this. He was four over for the first three rounds. Oh, hang on. It's gone. Certainly didn't take any time with that, did he? Just stood up and teeter up. You know, that, that was not on. Billy Foster that was cutting for me, that was not on my decision making. It was just a poor shot. We should probably, I mean, I'm sorry, we should have said, oh, let's say the 15 yards lift of the flag and then we're all, all okay. But that's not also sometimes what you do in those situations. You're trying to do the right things. You're trying to make it easy for yourself. Bjorn found himself in the greenside bunker on the par 3 16th, but with a decent lie. Even still, after a week of incredible golf, Nobody could predict what was to follow from Bjorn. Thomas Bjorn on 16, second shot. Oh, get up, get up. Stop. Oh, no, no, not in this footprint. Don't. Obviously, when you stand in that bunker and you hit the first shot and it comes back and it rolls into your footprint, you know you now got a big problem. You know, because now, with the way that whole thing is cut out, getting it out of the bunker is, uh, is a problem. Get up. Well, this is uh, this is very sad indeed. Trying to play it perhaps too too fancy, and now could have ended up in in his own footprints. To be honest, one of the most miraculous shots I I hit was that bunker shot. My fourth shot, you know, was an unbelievable shot from where I was. Well, he's going to have that for a five, a double bogey. If I keep saying to, to someone, I could still be in there if it was, if it, if it had stayed in the, after that one. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty miraculous thing in the end. And now he still has a three and a half foot putt to make only double bogey here. And this will take him, if he gets it, back to one under. He's hold it. He's hold it. But he's dropped two shots here at the 16th and suddenly this open is open once again and it's more bunker trouble for Thomas Bjorn. Meanwhile, unaware of Bjorn's bother on 16, Ben Curtis settled himself for a par on the last. This was 69. 
He's done it. Not very well, maybe. Oh, oh, oh. The winning putt. He doesn't know it. He has no idea of Thomas's trouble on 16. Goodness gracious me. Well, it now means that Ben Curtis, leader in the clubhouse, shares the lead of the Open Championship with Thomas Bjorn, and the gauntlet has been thrown down. Bjorn, two holes to play, has to make a birdie if he's going to win it outside a playoff. Vijay Singh, two holes to play. He's got to make up a shot to force a playoff. So too Tiger Woods, and Davis Love the third is in the mix as well. What an open. Within 15 fateful minutes, Bjorn's three-shot outright lead had evaporated. Now he headed for the 17th hole, which had already claimed him as a victim that week. It becomes tough now, because now it becomes probably the toughest hole on the golf course. It's, it's the next hole. I mean, hardly anybody hit the fairway all the way. Now you're stumbling, you know, and, and I end up bogeying 17. Thomas Bjorn, biggest part of his life. Now he needs a three to tie. It's bogey, double bogey, bogey. Quite incredible, this game of golf. Drive him mad. And he, he was just, it became a stumble into the clubhouse and you're trying to make birdie up the last to get in a playoff. Well, it's miracle time required for Thomas Bjorn. He's got 168 to the pin. The ball basically is lying very well, but he's just got one strand of that thicker Lynx grass right up against the back of the ball. Down in two from here to force a playoff. I realised when I hit my second job on 18, it's just tough now. You know, I've got to go up and hold that chip. Here comes the chip from Bjorn. It's coming up short. It is short. It's just nestled six inches away. And Ben Curtis is the Open champion. Ben Curtis has won the Open Championship, the most unheralded Open champion in years and years and years. Extraordinary. Standing in the parking lot after the after the whole scenario was tough, you know, and, and standing there, my dad was there, my mum and dad was there, you know, my wife was there, and having those conversations and understanding that everybody is obviously living through that moment where after 14, you know, everybody is kind of like, you could imagine the conversation where we're going to get the champagne from, you know, and that that's... And then you all of a sudden you stand there, it's a long drive home. It's uh, it, it's a tough moment because I was a kid growing up with an aspiration to become a European tour player. I far exceeded all the things that I ever dreamt of. But as you're going through it, your dreams get bigger and bigger and your aspirations get bigger and bigger as a player. And this was now my dream. This was now my biggest goal. And there it was. That was it. That was the moment where you had your chance. And are you ever going to be presented with a chance again? And that's the thought that's going to hit you straight away. Here was your moment. Here was your Doug Sanders moments. Here was your, you know, all those kind of things. They can't help but going through your mind. Of course, the outcome is sad for me. And I think it was a, it was a sad moment. But those are the things that happen in golf as well. You know, that these moments have happened and I'm not the first one to be in a 
in a deep hole and, and, and make a mess of it. Bjorn's collapse in the sand at Royal St. George's stands as one of the most painful in open history. Only by the time the championship came around again in 2004 did the Dane truly come to terms with what had slipped through his fingers. It took me a long time to kind of, because I was so up in my career, I was so driven. Uh, it took me a long time to probably, before the consequences of, of the moment sank in, uh, it probably took the better part of a year. It wasn't really to the year after June, going back to an open championship, I, it kind of hit me a little bit. I think it was, that was, that's the toughest open championship I played the year after. There's no doubt about that. I went back there and, you know, it was just like, for me, watching Ben coming back with the trophy and, you know, all those things that comes with being an open champion. There were tough things to deal with. It's a moment that lived with me and obviously, you know, you're going to get the comments, you're going to get the, you know, but, but that's sport. Bjorn's next big opportunity at a major wouldn't come until the 2005 PGA Championship. Again, however, it would be a heartbreaking second place for the man from Silkeborg, as Phil Mickelson birdied the 72nd to beat him and Steve Elkington by a single shot. With another close call, and a new generation of repeat winners coming to the fore, the sense grew within Bjorn that his major chance had been and gone. I think force you from me in Denmark. There's a great way of looking at me in the sense of, yes, there are certain things that people want me to achieve more than I did, but do they look at me in a, in a way of that I was part and changed in the face of, of Danish golf and allowing Danish golfers to become what we've seen a long row of them, and especially right now we're living through a, a time where we've got some unbelievable talent, both professionally and as amateurs, and and you know, being part of changing that way, the attitude, that it's okay to be good. You know, it's okay to achieve things and not that kind of like putting people down before they even have achieved things. And now we, we, we raise our sports people up, we celebrate them for the achievements that they, that they have. And, and in a small country, they sometimes far between the, the great results. So we, we got to celebrate it more. And I, I like to think that you know, me and a lot of other sports people, but being part of changing a culture, changing a way of thinking. And so I feel like I always had support from home. With the pride of his nation firmly behind him, Bjorn was about to enter the most testing phase of his career. His win at the Irish Open in May of 2006 proved to be his last for the next four years. Back and shoulder injuries would ensure he didn't tee it up in a single major in 2008 and 2009. So when the call came on Monday the 11th of July 2011, Thomas sat atop the list as first alternate for the 140th Open Championship. He'd be replacing Vijay Singh, with whom he'd tied for second eight years prior. And what's more, he'd be returning to the scene of his unforgettable collapse. Welcome to the 140th Open Golf Championship from Royal St George's at Sandwich in the southeast of England, the Garden of England, right down on the tip where at this time of year, normally the weather is so gorgeous, but in the last couple of days, it's all gone rather horrible. We have a northerly wind, most uncharacteristic at this time of year. For me, it was a championship of, I have to put something to bed here. I have to get on this golf course and play. 
and you can play it well, but I need to get on this golf course and play. I need to get out there and show to myself, no one else, just try and block everything out. But to nobody but me, this is a good opportunity. It's a moment where I, where I can do so many good things for myself. Thomas Bjorn has moved on to the eighth. We saw him uh, 37. This would put him three under. Oh, yeah. I guess he's a course specialist. Lovely start. Yeah, I played one of the best rounds of golf I've ever played on Thursday morning. I shot 65, I think, uh, in horrific weather. And the weather changed in the afternoon, which is sometimes does in your open, but it was one of the best rounds of golf I've ever played. And it was just, uh, it was an amazing feeling. 16th tee, par three. Well, this could be good, Ken. This could make up for all the pain of the, those three shots out of the bunker. That's a little belt. Yeah, and then all the questions come back, you know, the media on you, they're chatting to you and, oh, is this, you know, and then it became a tough week in that sense that you, you got all the question. Thomas will tap this in for a five and in it goes. So Thomas Bjorn takes off his cap. It's been a wonderful morning for Thomas, the leader at five under par. And I was just there kind of trying to stick my head down and, and try and concentrate on my stuff. And typical me, I'm standing there like a rabbit in headlights and really didn't want to be there because that was not really my my thought process going into it. So it played a bit of havoc with me uh, as the week went on. It was a sense of cruel irony for Bjorn beating every professional in the field on Thursday, eight years on from his collapse. Having held a share of the lead after round one, a difficult back nine the next day would see him relinquish the lead. And while the Danes stayed around the top five all week, eventually finishing a brilliant fourth, another veteran of the European Tour and a dear friend of Thomas would capture a famous victory. And then there was one, and that one is Darren Clark. 42 years old, he's aiming to be just the second player from Northern Ireland to win the Open. Settles over the putt. Here it goes. And it's just pulled up short. <laughs> Darren himself stands up and puts it into the hole. And Darren Clark is the Open champion. Listen to that applause. We talk about players that don't win major championship. Uh, you know, Darren had had you know, he could sit like me today had he not won at St. George's, let some slip, he let one slip as a tune and he had all those opportunities and, and hadn't won a major championship. I was delighted to see him win it because it was uh, it was his dream, it was his biggest dream and, and it was, to watch that was, was pretty special. A hug from Thomas oh, Bjorn. Bjorn himself would finish fourth on the leaderboard the final time he would break the top 10 in an Open Championship. I felt like I had a chance, Darren played unbelievable, kind of got a wave uh, from me and never really on Sunday felt like I could push into that leading pack. But finishing fourth, it was a really proud moment for me walking away from that championship. I, you know, it, it was like, you know, and, and as a golfer, there's small little things, you know, you get an invitation to the Masters, you know, you know, it's little things that, that I walked away with that nobody else knows about, but you, you kind of walk away and think, you know what, great achievement. Well, a late entry performed beautifully, Thomas Bjorn, first round leader with a 65, 
terrific round in the worst of the weather. Closes with a 71. 65, 72, 71, 71 for Thomas Bjorn, one under. Bjorn's performance in Sandwich as a 40-year-old was anything but a curtain call on his career. He would win two European Tour events in the next two months after the 140th Open and add two more titles in 2013. His best ever finish at the Masters in 2014, an eighth place finish, would also precede playing on the winning Ryder Cup team, his third appearance in the event. And when the Ryder Cup returned to Europe four years later, Thomas would have the honour of a lifetime as captain. As an experience in life, it's by far the best experience I've ever had. The 20 months of being Ryder Cup captain, to then start working with players, talking to caddies, talking to the team around, trying to create an idea and a thought that could elevate these 12 players to perform. The things that we got to experience uh, along the road uh, was remarkable. I mean, to think you, you stand up in the Eiffel Tower and hit golf balls off the Eiffel Tower with Jim Furyk, you know, and they close the whole thing around it. I mean, that's, that's taking golf to different levels. And to get those experiences was was remarkable for us. But then the week itself, uh, spending time with his players, their wives and girlfriends and the caddies and the, the whole team around, uh, coaches and everybody that comes with us to a Ryder Cup, to be able to sit across a table from Rory and, and, and talk to him and get into him, because now you have to try and achieve something together, picking out in the in the head of, of one of the great players of our time and, and having those conversations, trying to make understand what makes him better, what makes him turn up on, on a week and, and do things better, be a little bit more for himself, being a little bit more for others. That was a very big part of it for me and, and that's the things I take away the most. Drawing on his own experiences as a player, Bjorn guided Europe to a dominant victory at Le Golf National. Well, Justin Rose said to me on Sunday at the Ryder Cup, this is your major championship, and, and that's a nice thought. Really isn't so much about the three days of playing, it's more about being with those 12 players and, oh, and then over a long period of time trying to, to figure out how they operate and realizing how different they are. You know, there's 12 players out all highly strong, highly successful, and they all do it so differently, it's quite remarkable. A Ryder Cup win as a captain to add to his three as a player, alongside eight major top tens and 15 wins on the European Tour. Thomas Bjorn remains the most successful Danish player of all time. As he grew up around the golf clubs of Silkeborg, few could have imagined the indelible mark he would leave on the sport in Denmark and the path he would clear for those who wish to follow in his footsteps. Going back to where we started, you know, I'm a kid growing up in Denmark. Denmark hadn't won tournaments on the European tour. We didn't have a golfing society that believed that that was, uh, was achievable. To then do that at Loch Lomond, that changes a whole, a whole way of thought. We've got some great talents and yeah, you know, it's. I mean, I'm at an age now where it's, it's, you know, great to sit back and watch it. You know, watch them making all the mistakes I've made and try and help them a little bit along the way. But 
we are in a great place and you know we've got some wonderful women golfers that are going to be around for a long time and now we've got some young male golfers that really are going to force themselves onto the world stage i think when they look at you know when they look at my career and if they go into details of my career they they start slowly to appreciate as they come out on tour that it's not that easy to achieve things and and you've got to take you know the things that come to your way and and be proud of them and be a little bit more happy with them than than maybe I was. Bjorn's is a career to be proud of, and one that inspired a new generation of talented Danish golfers. Yet the disappointment of the 2003 Open Championship that so heartbreakingly eluded him lingers. But just maybe, one final act of Thomas Bjorn's open story is still to play out. You can't help as a professional sportsman, had I won there, what would then have happened? Would it have been easier? Would I won more? Would I? And I might never have done, and that's okay. The Open Championship for me is, is everything that, that I hold dear as a golfer. And it's the greatest championship in the world. My biggest dream right now in my career is to win a senior Open so I can play in another Open Championship. That would be the greatest prize of winning a senior Open would be that you could play in, a, in an Open Championship because I just would love to just one more time walk the fairways of an Open Championship because when you're in it and you haven't won an Open Championship, you never really get the chance to say goodbye to it. You know, you just kind of like, you don't know when your last one is, and you just kind of play and, and then all of a sudden you, you go, oh, I haven't played in one, three, four, five years. And then you think, well, that's it. For me personally to say goodbye to you, no, I don't want to, anybody, nobody needs, deserves, I don't deserve to stand there and wave at anyone, I do think. But for me personally to say goodbye to it, because it's it's given me so much. You know, I, I've tried my, everything I have to overcome that championship, but it's given me so much, so many great experiences, sad experiences, but it's given me all the emotion that comes with playing the game of golf. With thanks to Thomas Bjorn. Narrated by me, Shane O'Donoghue. Written, produced and edited by Alistair Cresswell. Executive produced by Chris Lewis, Paul Sutcliffe and Steve Tebb. This has been an original audio production from The Open.